welcome to another episode of Chapter Chat. I am Carrie, and my good friend Mike from At Grow Now Therapy will be joining us here in just a second. Let's see if he pops on. There he is. Here we hey, are. Mike. We made it. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing good. And look at you on the road. It's so I'm telling weird. You, it is crazy. I am in Cheyenne, Wyoming. I have had okay. quite the week. I uh, started uh, speaking on Thursday at the Nebraska Speech and Hearing Conference in Kearney, Nebraska. Then I drove to Denver and I spoke Friday for the Kansas Speech and Hearing Conference online. And then Saturday I spoke at the Colorado Speech and Hearing Conference. And now I am in Cheyenne, Wyoming doing a two-day consultation wow. with an agency here. So I worked all day, saw six kids and did consultations. And uh, so now I am here at our friend's home who invited us into their home. And I am doing chapter chat from Cheyenne, Wyoming. It is so weird not seeing the bookshelf behind you. It's like, it's like, it's not like, is it the, is it the real you? Is this really what's happening? It's so strange. And I'm so glad that Instagram is back up because my understanding is I was in therapy all day, but my understanding is it was down much of the day. Today was the first Monday since we start, we started this where chapter chat was in jeopardy of not <laughs> happening. And I was literally like, I didn't know what to do. Like, 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 one, like, like, am I going to be able to do anything today? So, and it was crazy. Like I, I, I honestly personally liked Instagram being down. It was uh-huh. just like, I'm like, besides chapter chats and Instagram live and right, meet, right. Meeting, meeting people like you, I'm kind of tired of Instagram. It's kind uh-huh. of, it's super annoying. Uh-huh. Uh, but you know, when it came, comes, comes time to 8 PM Eastern time, yep. you know, there's, there's nothing, nothing better than being right here. That's right. That's right. So I was just telling our listeners that we are discussing chapter two, chapter two of most likely to succeed preparing our kids for the innovation era and what did you guys think of or what did you think mike of chapter two i thought it was so awesome how you posed that question last (laughs) night to everyone what do you think is the purpose of education uh and this chapter uh, it's not really big on a lot of statistics or anything like uh-uh. that. It's, it's really based on what these authors have experienced in schools. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this chapter is really uh, based on experience and a little bit of interviewing and a little mm-hmm. bit of, you know, what they've seen. Uh, but I think this chapter, you know, these, these authors really have a unique way of getting their point across and them going with, okay, what do the leadership team and what do the marketers of schools say about schools? And then mm-hmm. what's on the flip side, what's actually happening at those schools? Right, uh, right. And, and, and it was the way they told the story was, you know, just like last chapter with the whole bicycle education thing. Uh, they did a really interesting job here by posing this purpose question and asking right. it over and over and over again. And then when you get to the end of the chapter, and the very end of the chapter, I think it was, uh, let's see, I think it was the very, yeah, the very, very end of the chapter, the all too true question. Uh, and then you see that A, B, C, D, E, you're like, mm-hmm. well, there you go. Yeah, yeah. My post today, I went ahead and just posted on this chapter. I've never really done that on Monday. Um, but I was just really kind of taken aback by this chapter because what I appreciated so much is that they talked about the history of education and what the original uh, purpose, if you will, of education uh, has always been. And uh, the education system as we know it was really started in 1893, okay? So if you go all the way back to 1893, so I'm on page 43 here, um, it says when our current school system was defined, um, the clear goal for education was this, to prepare youth for manufacturing jobs by providing them with an education that emphasizes routine tasks with minimal errors and no creative variations. So if that was what our current educational you know, system is founded on, we have to ask ourselves, is that even still appropriate today in the 21st century? So on that page, they go on to say, okay, well, that was the 19th century. So now in the 20th century, like in the 1900s, right? So you and I, um, well, I don't know about you, I guess. I went to, um, I graduated high school in 1989. So just to give you an idea, you know, I was obviously in the 20th century when I was in high school. Um, so he said over the course of the 20th century, the goal was modified a bit 
to prepare more students for white collar professions um, so that they could live and work in what they call the knowledge economy. Um, which means that knowledge was not readily available. The internet was not a thing yet. So knowledge and information was not readily available. So everybody assumed you needed a college education, right, to be able to make it. So in the 20th century, the focus was on memorizing facts, right, learning data, being able to rote memorize and regurgitate information on a test to show that you have the knowledge yep. necessary to uh, succeed in the world. Well, what we now know in the 21st century is knowledge is no longer a commodity. Knowledge is ubiquitous. It is available mm. everywhere. Every single person has access to knowledge. If you want to know facts about the Civil War or facts about the Constitution or facts about you know, the population of Germany, I mean, you don't have to memorize anything anymore because information is everywhere. All you need is access to Google, Siri, or Alexa. That's all you need, and you can get that information. So if information is now readily available and we no longer live in the knowledge economy, then what is the purpose of education today? Absolutely fascinating. And, it's, and I read this chapter uh, yesterday. Uh, I went, went through the whole chapter as a short chapter. And then today, uh, we're, we're starting to move into our new clinic and our new space, uh, and we had uh, a student come in, a high school student come in, and he needed to work with me with all these missing assignments he had in chemistry. And he was just sitting there. He was exhausted. He was frustrated. He was yawning. He was sitting like this. <laughs> and he was showing me some of these missing assignments, and it was just ridiculous. Okay. So, we were, so literally, the entire homework was him taking the question from the online textbook, which was... It's not a physical textbook anymore. It's an online right. textbook. And he was literally just going from one tab to the other, Googling answers, and then typing and, then and typing, typing it in. It in. And yep. that was the homework. And it was all about what are the, what are the, uh, the precious metals or whatever they're called right, or, you know, right, on, right. on the periodic, periodic table. table. Yeah. Right. And like what's, what's metallic and what's not. And I sat back and I watched this kid so stressed talking about how much he doesn't like school talking about how he loses his free time because he has to come to my clinic on a Monday afternoon. Right. And because he doesn't want to do this busy work of chemistry. And I was thinking to myself, man, what else could of this young man could have done besides have to get into an argument with his mom because of chemistry or have to sit here and do this Google homework? This He's meaningless. It's meaningless. Completely if he has to Google meaningless. it, he doesn't know it. He's never yep. going to know it. And yep. why does he need to know it? If you can Google it, it means it's readily available, yep. right? And there is so, no chance that he's going to become a, uh, a, a scientist or a chemist because he's not passionate about it. He has no passion about it. Right. And even if he was passionate about it, school has destroyed that passion. Any, and, any I think, and, and that's exactly what it is. And th that's what this chapter has done so well. Uh, so, so basically they start by asking these leadership people, okay, what's the purpose of education? And they sum it up into an A, B, C, D, E, F. So mm -hmm. we have A, teach students cognitive and social skills. B, prepare students to be responsible, contributing citizens. C, build character. D, help students in a process of self-discovery. E, inspire students through the study of humanity's great works, and F, prepare students for productive careers. Sounds like... It sounds it, awesome, doesn't sounds it? Like, sounds like Finland, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Too sounds bad like they don't... That's not how it goes. That's not how it goes at all. And you learn that very quickly in the next chapter yeah. when they actually go to the schools. And the one thing that I underlined about three times here was they went to a student and showed them that list of A to F and they yes. said, and the child and the student said back, you're kidding. We're so busy here. We never have time to explore. That's right. Exploring is nothing because what they fail to mention as a primary um, purpose of education is to memorize content mm -hmm. because really that is the purpose of education is to memorize content, cover content. Okay. And so um, on page 41, this was to me the thing that I have been like, 
screaming for years and I just oh, love yeah. how they put it into oh, yeah. such a, a clear um, I guess explanation so the Lawrenceville school district is consistently rated as one of the very best US elite private high schools a decade ago so this book was written in 2015 so we're talking a decade before that it ran a fascinating experiment with students taking core science courses when students returned after summer vacation they were asked to retake the final exam they had completed three months earlier actually they went ahead and simplified the test gave them a simplified version because the faculty eliminated any detailed questions that they didn't really think students should be expected to remember a few months later so they simplified the test just wanted to make sure the students retained you know the primary information from their uh, final exam three months earlier the results were stunning when the students took the original final in june the average grade was a b plus it was an 87 percent when the simplified test was taken in september the average grade was an F. It was a 58%. Not one single student retained mastery of the all-important concepts covered by yep. the course. So the course content was not remembered at all. So following this experiment, Lawrenceville completely rethought the way courses were taught, eliminating almost half the content to emphasize deeper learning. And when it repeated the experiment years, you know, in future years, the results were far more satisfactory so what's the point if you get an a in june and get an f in september on the same exact information is learning actually happening so if the purpose of education is to rote memorize um course content and simply regurgitate it on a test is that what we're calling learning is have we decided that is the purpose of education so here's the thing that i thought of when i read that so they took the first test in june and got a b plus the second test was in september they got an f they would have gotten an F if this test was given in July or August. They, I don't think they would have had to wait so long right. until they're physically back in school. I'm talking a month later, like June, because July. Because they memorize, memorize for the and, test. And regurgitate. And they even yeah. use the word regurgitate in this chapter. Yeah. I don't, know, I don't yeah. know where it was, but I remember reading it and I was like, yeah, oh, here it is on the bottom of page 39. Uh -huh. kids, kids cram for days or months in the case of high stakes tests like the ACTs, SATs, AP right. tests, for tests that call for them to regurgitate content, which they which quickly, they quickly forget. forget. And there's that, there's that classic summer slide we hear so yep. much about, but this is, this is one, of the, one of the country's most prestigious private schools. Right. So, so these are kids that have you know, some of the best education that money can buy in this country, and they are having a summer slide. Are still slide. getting an F, right? Exactly. So on page 42, um, near the top, it says, the bulk of U.S. education is a largely hollow process of temporarily retaining the information required to get acceptable grades on tests. So no wonder we have kids who would rather be on TikTok and take the TikTok challenge and, uh -huh. you know, set their school on fire or steal a toilet out of the bathroom because school is meaningless to so many students today. Um, they don't see that school has any relevance to their life. They don't feel that school is preparing them for their future because honestly, if, if you're still just memorizing information about Shakespeare's works and reading Fahrenheit 451, you know, if, if you're asking to be, you know, required to do things that have no relevance to today, um, I love it. Somewhere in here they talk about, you know, students who take like an art history class or a music history class to end up hating art or music because all yep. they do is memorize facts about artists and musicians and when they were born and when they died and what impressionist era were they a part of. And they're like, I freaking hate art now. Like I went into this because I thought it was going to be art history and it was going to be interesting and there's nothing interesting about it. Exactly. And on page 46, they highlight that perfectly. So they say our preschool kids across all geographies and demographics are full of passion, full yep. of curiosity, full of exploration, ready to play, ready to take on the world, excited, right. happy to be there, show up to school with a smile on their face. But it's because a there's joy in learning because there, there's because joy there's in learning still yep. joy in learning. Yep. They haven't been corrupted yet by the mm -hmm. American school process. But it's a rare high, it's a rare high school senior who demonstrates any joy for something related to their education. Yep. Thanks. It is simply going through the motions. It is simply jumping through hoops over and over and over so you can graduate and finally move on with your life, right? And, and so, meanwhile, in Finland, we have people <laughs> taking extra classes, extra classes. that yep. aren't mandatory. 
because they love learning, because education is relevant, because they get to meet with a counselor two hours every single week to help prepare them for their future. Um, so yeah, it's, it's just a whole different uh, a process here in the United States. Yeah, absolutely. This is really, and, and we would love to hear from you guys. Uh, you know, everyone who read this chapter, The Purpose of Education, this is a great uh, pre, this is a really, really, so this book, we're now on, uh, this is the chapter, chapter one. So this, this chapter was really also almost like an introduction. So this, this chapter, it was very short. It was to the point. It was really describing, you know, what's happening, what's here and there. Uh, so I, we would love to hear from you guys. And uh, we have someone here, what makes you, us different, who thinks school is not doing the right thing while we are a product of the school. Absolutely. So it, it's really... Um, this... Well, things have changed, though. I mean, when I went to school, things were, I, I don't know. What, what, what do you want to say about that, Mike? It, 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 basically, a school in general, the purpose of education in this country, we're learning that school is still the way it was hundreds of years ago. It's the exact same thing. And if anything, it's gotten worse as politics and big business and corporations have gotten involved in it. But this whole idea, like this, this book shed light on it where school was created based on individuals who were transcribing Bibles and uh, how school was but created. But I think what so this people... person is asking is mm -hmm. if we're the product of this school system, how can we say that there's something wrong with it? Isn't that what they're well, asking? That's, that's exactly what we're supposed to be doing. Uh, we are a product of this system. And I can look back right now and there was nothing in high school and there was nothing even in my undergraduate of college that led me to speech and language therapy. It was my own passion for right. wanting to work with children. So self-motivation, intrinsic exactly. motivation. Yeah. And I can even make an argument that it was the summers in between college that mm -hmm. led me to speech and language pathology. So I was working at summer camps. I eventually worked at a children's center. So it was really those experiences where mm -hmm. I, re I realized, okay, this is where I'm good. This is where I show up to work and I have energy and I have passion when I'm working with kids, right, when I'm right. working with people. And college had nothing to do with that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I barely made it through undergrad. I'll be honest with you. I mean, taking, like, mm -hmm. I had to take astronomy. I have no interest in astronomy, but they made me take all these courses, you know, as electives because trying to, you know, create well-rounded citizens or whatever. But if you're not passionate about it, if it's not of an interest to you and you're forced to take it, um, you know, uh, no wonder kids drop out of college, right? Because the United States has the highest dropout rate in, in college, okay? So it is um, something that we are exploring. This is These are not all our opinions. We are reading, this is our third book in Chapter Chat where we are examining uh, education here in the United States. What I think is fascinating, Mike, on page 47, where it says develop critical skills. And it said, imagine what would happen if a student's report card were organized by critical skills instead of subject matter. So in another book called The Global Achievement Gap, they come up with seven survival skills. So what do you think of these, Mike? Critical thinking and problem solving, collaboration across networks and leading by example, agility and adapt ad adaptability, initiative and entrepreneurship, effective oral, written, and multimedia communication, accessing and analyzing information, and curiosity and imagination. Nowhere on there is rote memorizing facts um, out of, you know, a, a skill that is considered uh, to be a critical skill for making it in this world. And, and what's even more ironic is all of these critical skills are not really taught in a classroom, are not taught from lecture-based classrooms. Right. Critical thinking and problem solving is not something you can listen, take notes on, and learn. All of these critical skills are learned through experience. And what experiences are our schools giving our children? It is nothing but static, basic uh, uh, just rudimentary experiences. And we talked about it last week and I saw uh, Callie just signed on. Callie is sitting at home right now, logged into her chapter chat, wearing her, <laughs> her un, new shirt. Her, I love it. Her new, her new shirt. She's wearing it right now. Fidgeting is a request for regulation. Absolutely. And we have seen, and myself being someone who specializes in ADHD and executive functioning, Fidgeting is at an all-time high. There's a reason why fidget toys are popular now mm -hmm. and they weren't before. So all of these crazy, this fidget phenomenon going on is because kids need to move. And what's happening in our schools 
is the teachers are under pressure to teach the, to the test and all of this crazy standardized testing and all of the pressure happening. There's no time to develop any of these critical thinking skills because they are being forced to memorize for mm -hmm. the very, very short term information that is not feeding their passion. Right. And someone mentioned in a, in a comment, oh, but there is some relevance to learning about history, you know, and, and I can't remember what the, what it said. It said, um, I, let's see, where is it? Uh, I think there is relevance in historical knowledge and the development of taking a position on issues and supporting, defending, or countering them. Well, I agree completely. And these authors do too. On page 44, they say, um, we can hear critics objecting. How can you say children in America are educated if they never learn about Abraham Lincoln or Shakespeare or Newton's laws of motion? Or yep. it's absurd to have education goals that don't ensure that every student has core competence in literacy numeracy. Yep. So the authors say, look, we agree that our students do need to, to master some level of content and fundamentals, but disagree with how to integrate this mastery into a child's educational experience. Clearly, want, we want every child by a certain grade level to be adept and a passionate reader, to be proficient at core math operations, and to be able to communicate well. Mastering these foundational building blocks requires repetition and practice. But the real question is how we help our students to master these core skills in a way that reflects real learning and retention. So for me, this yes. retention piece is what's so important. So I would agree. You know, we don't want to say, oh, we don't want kids to learn about Freud or Einstein, you know, that there is still an important importance to that, but it's, it's how are they learning it? And is it enough to just wrote memorize facts so that we have all the dates and in the correct sequence? Is that what matters? Or does it matter to understand the purpose of the war or why a book was written and what, what the, 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 the true meaning is of it? So I think that's what the authors are getting at is that it's um, important that we look at the um, importance of learning and retention or is just learning it once and forgetting it. Are we good with that? Because that is really what is happening in education today for the most part. Absolutely. So, so what Carrie and I are so passionate about is, you know, the only air based on the research, based on the data, the only part about education that we're asking to be flipped on its head completely and revamped and reworked is early childhood. That's where the academics has to take a back seat. That's right. where kids need to play and have experiences and learn and, and move and learn with their hands. They and learn be, through play. Yeah. And learn through play and sitting at a table and doing worksheets. Early childhood needs that total 180. And that's mm -hmm. the first thing that needs to happen, period. That's where, and, and this book touches on it, how kids yeah. at that age are looking for adventure, looking for exploration, looking for okay. fun. But, they're, so, but, they're, but the rest of education, yes, there are important knowledges in history, math, English. Right. Kids need to know how to do arithmetic. They have right. to know how to read. They have to know how to write. But all but these if fine the chemistry, <clears throat> but if the, um, the, what's the chemistry thing we were talking about earlier? The periodic the, table. The periodic table. And, you know, I, I mean, I learned about it. I took science classes, but I can't tell you that I know very many of them. I know that AU is gold. And, but the thing is, is we have access <laughs> to information readily available. So if I need to look it up, it's going to take me 0.2 seconds yep. to find out. Yep. So that's what we're getting at is in the 21st century, we no longer live in the knowledge economy. Knowledge yep. is readily available to every single person here in the United States. So it's about what do we do with it? How do we apply our knowledge, right? What are we learning that is going to better, um, you know, make people want to learn, want to be, uh, uh, you know, members of society, they're going to be contributing. So Mike, when you were talking about early childhood, I just cannot pass this up that, um, that on page 37, it starts, consider the kindergarten. This is true. That canceled its school play yes. to devote more time yes. to preparing its six-year-old students. Are you ready for this? For college and the workplace. So here is the actual letter that was sent home to parents. Dear kindergarten parents and guardians, we hope this letter serves to help you better understand how the demands of the 21st century are changing schools and more specifically to clarify misconceptions about the kindergarten show. It is most important to keep in mind that this issue is not unique to, to our school. Although the movement towards more rigorous learning standards has been in the national news for more than a decade, the changing face of education is beginning to feel unsettling for some people. What and how we teach is changing to meet the demands of the changing world. The reason for eliminating the kindergarten show is simple. We are responsible for pre preparing children for college 
and career with valuable lifelong skills and know that we can best do that by having them become strong readers, writers, coworkers, and problem solvers. Please do not fault us for making professional decisions that we know um, we'll never be able to please everyone, but know that we are making these decisions with the interests of all children in mind. So six-year-olds need to be preparing for college and the workplace, so heaven forbid that they be in a school play because we're gonna be done with that. This is what is happening in the United States. This is a letter from kindergarten teachers saying we are responsible for preparing children for college and career. No, you're not. No, you're not. What is the purpose? You know, we asked what's the purpose of education. Maybe we should step this back. What's the purpose of early childhood education? That's, that is the number one thing right there. That is right. So this book does an incredible job talking yeah. about how, how uh, play is disappearing, passion is disappearing, Yep. motivation is disappearing and it's and we look at kids when they enter early childhood and we look at kids later on down the road what yep. is happening to their zest for life and their love for life well, they're, and their love for learning, learning. their yeah. love for learning you, yeah. so, i mean what do i say all the time you pluck the joy out of learning and you're going to have yep. kids who hate to learn but yep. as long as there's joy in learning and one of the most certain ways to keep joy in learning is to let children learn about things that they're passionate about right to be able to i mean I, I can, yeah, I can talk about my son and his passions and how we can work on any skill. We can work on math, we can work on reading, we can work on writing, but we use his passions and that is how he has success. But Mike, on page 39, I have to say, this was something that, you know, it kind of just starts to really tie this together really nicely. I love how Albert Einstein said, mm -hmm, <laughs> he shared mm -hmm. his struggles um, of school and he said, the formulation of a problem is often more essential than its solution. And I really like that, that, you know, it's not about, we have made education about the, the, the solution. What's the answer? Did you get the answer right? Nobody cares how you got the answer, right? How you came up with it. Did you use creative problem solving? Did you collaborate with other people? Nobody cares about how you got it. It's just, did you get the answer right? So it's not on process, it's on product, right? Yep. Albert Einstein says, wow, wouldn't it be great if education was about the process, you know? So I love this where it says, um, the mission statement question. So what is our school's overarching priority? And they must have asked, I think they did like, um, a dip, I don't know, a study where they asked these questions. So here are the four things that they believe that, you know, schools would say, this is what we're about. Covering content, right? Which we know that they're about. Um, helping students discover their passions and purpose. Help students develop cognitive and social skills. And help students form character and be responsible citizens. So what's interesting is after the authors visited schools and classrooms, they found a very consistent pattern. School leaders articulate a mission statement that reflects a combination of B, C, and D, but they never, ever talk about A. So they're talking about, we want them to find their passion. We want them to develop cognitive and social skills. We want them to be responsible citizens, but they never ever once say we want to cover content. And yet when you actually look at the way they are teaching, the thing that they are um, unequivocally prioritizing is covering specified content. So what actual administrators and leaders say their focus is, is, uh, is completely opposite from what they are actually focusing on. So it's like they're not living in a reality world, right? They're living in this, oh, this is what education is. This is what our mission statement is. This is what we do, but they're not doing it. Exactly. And I think the way that they said it here on the bottom of page 39, meticulously specified content, that yep. answers the previous question. Yes, it is important to learn content. It's important to learn math, reading, writing, history, history. Absolutely. chemistry, chemistry, science, all of these things are important, but the meticulously specified content that is teaching to the test, and right. they say- It is well memorized test, without any test, deep yep. understanding. Tests revolve around content recall, and yep. kids, kids cram for days, regurgitate, re regurgitate content, which they quickly forget. So what is the point of stressing a child out, increasing their anxiety, taking them away from play, taking them away from what makes them passionate, they're coming home from school and doing more work, getting into fights with their family and having issues at home. And they're cramming for a test. And a couple of weeks later, they don't even remember anything that was on the test. And this is an ongoing vicious cycle that these right. kids are going through. And we wonder why childhood anxiety is at an all-time high. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what I very much appreciated is they actually, in this chapter, start talking about on page 42, a starting point for defining 
purpose, right? So what is our actual purpose? If we, um, if we could rewrite the goal of American education, right? Would it be? Because when you look at, uh, this is funny, on page 43, they say, if you go back to 1893, when the current school system was initially defined, they would have said, the purpose of education is to teach students low-level cognitive skills, train them to perform repetitive tasks quickly and error-free, and eliminate all creativity and innovation, right? That yep. would, that's how they would have yep. written a mission statement. What was the purpose? To prepare them for manufacturing jobs. Well, now, what I very much appreciate on 44, they say, okay, if we were able to, you know, get a committee together and say, let's come up with a purpose of education. So when I asked you guys, and many of you messaged me, like what, you know, you came up with these great um, purposes of education, here is what the authors came up with. The purpose of education is to engage students with their passions and growing sense of purpose, teach them critical skills needed for career and citizenship, and inspire them to do their very best, I love this more than anything, to make their world better. Beautiful. I mean, Beautiful. I don't know that we could have ever, we could have Beautiful. spent a year coming up with a, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, uh, yep. a purpose of education. And I just, yep. I highlighted it and I started and I just, um, I, I think that you notice nowhere in there do they say that we want to make content coverage a priority, you know, because we now live in the information era. Information is readily available. So is it important to understand history? Is it important to understand, you know, chemistry and physics and, and some of these things? Absolutely. We're not saying it's not important. Okay. But we're saying, do they need to memorize such a narrow scope of facts that they're just simply memorizing regurgitating on a test? Or is it better yep. for them to learn deeper knowledge that is actually going to stick with them that will help them to, um, you know, survive in this world? So this chapter really takes two major subjects and kind of pushes them head to head. The first is this idea of content, 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 content in schools. Memorization. Yep. Memorization, memorization of content. And on the flip side of that, one word that's really used a lot in this chapter is passions. So mm -hmm. we learn, we're, we're constantly hearing about passions, passions. And on page 47, I loved this paragraph. The early passions of children for animals, for sports, for building things, for drawing or singing, for asking and absor absorbing, all too often dissipate without leading to lifetime competencies. That's precisely where our educators can be so pivotal. Pivotal, and that's what we we learned is happening over in Finland. Can a passion for sports blossom into an expertise in statistics? A love for uh, a love of drawing can lead to becoming a gifted architect. A passion for Legos can go into engineering. Even a love for for video games can can lead to computer programming. And this that that little paragraph right there put a little bit of a smile on my face because yeah. that's really what I love so much about being an SLP and yeah. our ability, yeah. our ability to work with students one-on-one -on -one mm -hmm. gives us this ability to be so pivotal, pivotal. Right. So right. teachers with these large classes who have to teach to the test, who have to grade kids. Yes. You know, school SLPs have to take data and follow the IEP and things like that, but we have such a unique ability to build unique rapport to build a relationship, to have that even playing field between clinician and student. And this is really like, I've mentioned this before, I always wanted to be a teacher. It was always a dream mm -hmm. of mine to be a teacher. But the fact that I found speech and language therapy and this ability to work with students and find their passions and, and help them build off their passions. Like I, I worked with a high school student that loved sports and loved you know, keeping track of wins and losses and things like that. And he's now in college majoring in statistics. And Isn't that's, that something? Exactly. And that's what it said right here. And, and, and that's what made me just, and, and that's what I was able to do for him. Sure. But, if, but if school were different, that could have happened so much earlier than when he ever met me. Right. Um, I have to say this on page 45, it talks a little bit about, you know, oh, well, isn't it important for our kids to still, you know, learn history and learn science and all that. So what I love is it says, to our knowledge, no one has come up with a rubric for determining what 
content knowledge is actually essential. Yeah. So if we say, well, you need to learn history, but how much history do you have to learn? Like, you know, I mean, do you need to know about every Shakespearean play, you know, or, you know, if you're in a literature or whatever, like how much history do you need to know? So it said, um, uh, to provide a concrete example of the link between teaching pedagogy and a lasting impact, a recent survey found that 70% of U.S. adults don't know what the Constitution is. And yet, we're pretty certain that every one of those adults was taught about the Constitution in school and tested on facts about its details and mechanics. Yet, um, content that is necessary to be an informed citizen of the United States that has, was covered in school has long been forgotten by almost all graduates. So we're back to it's how we're teaching it. It's how they're learning it. Because if 70% of American adults don't know what the Constitution is, um, why do they care what their constitutional rights are? Why does government, does government yeah. even matter to them? So, I mean, wow, that just, did that shock you a little bit, Mike, that 70% don't know that, what the constitution is? It's, it's, it's not working. It's not working with the yeah. purpose of school is not working. And the way it's set up, even with, with SATs and ACTs and AP testing, this system is not working. And you have to, to be a citizen, we always hear about be a good citizen and be a meaningful citizen. If you don't know what the constitution is and what your rights are, you, you yeah. know, how do you know who to vote for? And how do you know how to follow politics? And how do you know mm -hmm. how to follow campaigns and those sorts of things? It just goes to show you that the education system is broken. And yeah. so, so, so the number one thing is we're pushing content, content, content. So you think that human beings in, a, in this country would become masters of content. So right. they say early in the, earlier in the chapter, usually when you focus on one thing, the other thing falls short. Right. So we're focusing on content and we're not focusing on executive functioning, relationships, Process. and experiences. Process. Yeah. But yeah. we are yeah. focusing on content. So you would think that Which by, is by, by this point- all readily available on the internet right now. Exactly. Does that, you see what I mean? Yeah. Knowledge yeah. is no longer oh, yeah. special. Having knowledge, nope. having facts in your brain, it no longer makes you better than the next guy because we live in the era of information. Yep. And, and the kids today, like all, most of us here, uh, really started using Google and search engines and the internet more as we were already getting older. Kids today are growing up with Google and they're Googling things when they're five, six, seven oh. years old. Oh, they're asking they're... Siri and Alexa when they're five years yeah. old. How yeah. many teeth does a shark have? I mean, they know things that, you know, because information is available now. Yep. And, and now that there is a Siri and Alexa, that takes all of the literacy out of it. You can yeah. literally push a button and speak into it and get mm -hmm. an answer to any question. And most kids can probably get the vast majority of their homework done by using Siri and Alexa. And those things are not going away. They're getting stronger. And right. automation in this country, you can, yeah. go to so many, you can go to so many different stores and you're going to see self-checkout. Yep. You're going you're gonna to see uh, factories that are shutting down because yep. everything's being automated. Things the, have been computerized, automated, and uh, shipped overseas. You know what I mean? Outsourced, exactly. if you will. So, yep. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so page, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No. Yeah, so this whole uh, process of teaching kids not to think creatively, not right. to pursue their passions, these old manual labor jobs, these yeah. old jobs where you have to have this wide ranging content sort of things, that's not going to help them be successful long term. Yeah. So I, what I love, and this is what I'm so excited about, is I'm excited now about chapter seven, because here's what it says on page 48. Oh, yeah. While these goals may seem uh, too ambitious to be achievable, we have visited schools across the country in a wide range of geographies and socioeconomic strata that are producing spectacular results. What's striking about these schools, some of which we will highlight in chapter seven, is that their guiding principles are all based on engaging students in challenges that align with their passions and prioritize prioritizing the school experience around developing critical skills. While students may cover less content than at a traditional school, guess what? They retain what they cover. They are getting an education that prepares them for careers, citizenship, and life. They are learning how to learn. Just because the students may be having fun at school shouldn't cause us to conclude that they're not learning. It is, in fact, possible for students to experience a real joy of learning in a way that reinforces developing critical skills. 
So I read that exact same thing and thought to myself, wow, I cannot, re- I cannot wait to read chapter seven. So yeah. of course I, I went ahead a little bit. I looked, through cha- <laughs> I looked through chapter seven and guess what it's about? Finland. Uh, is it about, it is not about Finland. Yep. You're not kidding me. So if to- you just, our <laughs> last book was called Finnish Lessons. Yep. Where we looked at the education system in Finland. Oh my goodness. On page 231 of chapter seven. The entire, I, I'm, so they go through several different <laughs> schools. So, so I, I'm pretty sure chapter seven is about like 10 to 20 different schools. Okay. Whatever. But there is a major chunk of this chapter that focuses solely on Finland. Oh, well, that's going to be fabulous to be able to, you know, again, you would have thought we'd put yep. these books in order because yeah. somehow like, no, this is just, it's just happening that way. Isn't it fascinating, Mike, on page 48, they also talk about if we help kids grow their passions into competencies, they can thrive. I just think mm. about how every human being has different skills, has different interests, has different preferences, and has different passions. And when you think about something like a common core curriculum, what we're yep. basically saying is we want every single person to learn the exact same thing. How in the world does that tap into your individuality? How in the world does that tap into your creative problem-solving skills? We live in the innovation era. And if, if COVID has taught us anything, I mean, it has taught us that guess what? People can work from home and people can work in different circumstances and we can can still have meetings and we because we live in not only the innovation area we live in a high-tech world that allows for us to be creative that allows for us to be unique to try things a different way but that means we have to raise um, uh, children into adults who are flexible thinkers right who um, are creative and imaginative and who thrive on being innovative right who don't want to do the same things the way we've always done them who want to think outside that proverbial box. And, and you, you think about that, that whole idea of the common core and think teaching everybody around the country, different states, rural, suburban, urban, mm-hmm. teaching the them the thing. exact same thing. That's so unrealistic, uh, especially in terms of, you know, teacher training, uh, the, the opportunities that different schools have, everything. Yep. And all it's doing is setting up these schools to uh, to teach specific subjects in a very specific, specific way. Specific way. And, oh, that's and, what Common yep. Core is. And is. that's exactly what it is. Right. So, yep. Mike, on page 42, this is just a beautiful um, uh, kind of explanation of that. It says, if we want our education system to be dynamic and innovative, we need to respect each school's distinct nature and give schools the trust and support to determine how best to formulate and achieve a well-thought-out purpose and set of goals. We need to embrace and encourage, not seek to eliminate local differences in our approach to educating students. Okay, so that said, then we need clarity for what is the purpose of education. Because if you live in rural South Dakota, I'm pretty certain your education is going to be different than if you live in Los Angeles, California, right? Because culturally things are different. I mean, the society is different. So I love that they actually talk about we need to embrace and encourage local differences in our approach to education. And a common core doesn't allow for that. It says, no, everybody's going to learn the exact same thing because what we want is – an army of robots, if you will, who learn the same thing, who respond the same way, who regurgitate information. But what we don't want is creative, innovative thinkers. And I don't understand why we would ever want to be a society that doesn't want creative, innovative thinkers. Exactly. And on page 51, uh, they talk about our leaders on both the left and right side of the aisle continue to claim that our schools are failing and in need of reform. We've all heard about education reform, education reform. But in reality, our education system is obsolete and needs reimagining. And further (laughs) down, the total amount spent in the United States on education research and development is is less, less than what we spend on staplers. Yeah, so they're not there spending any money on, on educational research. Yeah, so no. they want to complain yep. that the other side, right, the other party isn't doing enough in education. So you should vote my party in. But I have no real solutions um, because we're not doing any research into how we can better, you know, our education system. So, yeah, trying to blame Democrats versus Republicans or vice versa, it doesn't make any sense. This isn't a party issue. The point is we have to start over, right? We're going to have it starts with early childhood, right? And that's Absolutely. what we keep saying. 
saying is that we have to bring play back into early childhood. We have to make sure that uh, four, five, six, six-year-olds aren't sitting at tables with number two pencils doing worksheet after worksheet after worksheet, because that is now not how young children learn best. Exactly. Uh, so so that's, that's really the number one thing. And we talked about this. You know, what is we, the, the, the purpose of education? What is the purpose of early childhood education? Yep. And last week we had that great saying, not preschool, but play school. And talking yeah. about bringing mm -hmm. play and bringing joy back to early childhood. <laughs> and this is, a, this is the, con the constant conversation we're constantly having about that's really where it all starts. And, yep. you know, if, if there's any change that these chapter chats can bring to the world mm -hmm. and we can bring play and love and joy and energy uh, mm -hmm. and get rid of, you know, sitting down and listening and getting yes. rid of the academics from early right. childhood and bringing those back, I think we'll see a trick. We'll see so much trick, progress, right, right, so much right. progress. It will trickle up mm -hmm. into the other grades. Yeah, on, in the conclusion um, on page 51, I just I think this is worth reading. It says, um, we um, need an education strategy that matches the core strengths of our nation. We will educate our kids to help them to be as innovative, creative, and entrepreneurial as humanly possible. We are going to stop chasing South Korea and Shanghai in the standardized test race and focus instead on winning the innovation race. That's the only race that will matter in the century ahead. Um, so what that's going to have to force us to do is stop with our infatuation on data, right? Because all you do is look at us and say, well, we're nowhere where we, you know, we, we're not globally competitive. Well, sure, if you're looking at these standardized tests, we're never going to be globally competitive because that's not what really matters. Um, the very last thing in this whole chapter, Mike, though, and I, this might just be a good place to kind of wrap it all up here. We can take questions and comments then too, but it says, while we wish this weren't the case, the overarching goal of education today is, okay, do you think it's A, to boost standardized test scores, B, to get students through the process to have acceptable graduation rates, C, to get students into colleges that please their parents, D, to sort and rank order kids with a meaningless bell curve, or E, all of the above? Anybody have thoughts on what the answer is? What is our current focus of education? Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah, it's E, and, right? It's all those. We got to raise our yep. test scores. We got to get kids into colleges, you know, that they're going to go $100,000 in debt. Um, you know, I mean, it's just, it's fascinating where we're at and where we need to be. And I'm really excited for chapter three, just looking at that, Mike. What's I, Exactly, exactly. I'm really you, excited you, to keep reading. You look at this all too true question and you look at A through E and it's clear the answer is E, all of the above. Mm -hmm. And then I always, I can never help myself, I always look, look, at, look through the next chapter. Uh, and the next chapter is really all about what's at stake and what all of this, you know, these decades and decades and decades of this inappropriate and obsolete educational system. And you look forward, you know, there, there, there's things here in terms of, you know, a civil society, climate change. Uh, there's so much in here in terms of what, uh, these type of people that we're uh, creating from this educational system of people without passions, people without the, the inability to think critically, people that uh, end up working these careers that don't make them happy, uh, people that right. aren't, uh, aren't able to find their true purpose in life uh, and aren't able to think outside of the box. You know, what's, yeah. at, what's, at, what's at stake what's at for stake? America Right. There's, there's a lot and it's, it's really, it's really scary. And I think this is going to yeah. be a really interesting chapter coming up. Yeah. And I just have to say that, you know, on page 51, when they say, here's the problem is that most people assume that the biggest problem in education today is that teachers are lazy and incompetent. That they yep. say, well, the teachers just yep. aren't doing a good enough job. Even administration, you know, says that because if your test scores aren't higher, then you're not going to be tenured or we're not going to pay you, give you a pay raise. You know, that your pay is dependent on your, your, your students' test scores. And it says, so they say they blame the teachers, right? Oh, it's the teachers who are lazy and incompetent. Yet, Huh. their initiatives and the majority. So these are, oh, this is about charter schools saying, well, the reason we started this charter school, you know, is because obviously public school teachers aren't doing a good enough job, yet their initiatives and the majority of charter schools they have funded have not produced any significant improvement in students learning. Okay. Um, and they only serve to polarize the education debate. So trying to say there's one thing that, oh, it's the teachers, it's their fault is absolutely ridiculous. It is the system. It is the antiquated system 
that was designed to make sure that we could get youth into manufacturing jobs. That is the system we are still basing this on. And it's time to revamp our education system. Absolutely. And this is exactly uh, exactly what we're doing here, you know. All Just bringing here. awareness. We know, Just you know, I mean, we, we, that's the best we can do, right, is talk about it. So do you guys have any questions or comments or give us any thoughts you had uh, on the chapter? Um, is anybody else reading along with us? It's always fun to know if anybody else has the book and is, is reading along. I wonder if Instagram froze again. Like we've been, we've been stuck for a while here on 27. We have. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah maybe, might maybe. Have, might oh, have there, crashed again. Yeah, maybe it did. Maybe it did. We'll see if we have any comments or questions. <laughs> yeah, so, that's fine. Yeah. So, Mike, what do you think? Um, we'll do next week, chapter three. And how many, how many chapters does this book have? I think, I, just... I think for next week, we should do What's at Stake and this Millennial Interviews. Oh, do two of it's, them? Okay. It's pretty short because okay. let's three, do it. Yeah, because it's really only from page 53 to 83. Okay, uh, let's do it. So, then, we'll do and then two chapter chapters four, next week. Chapter four is the start of part two and chapter four is really thick and long. Okay, let's do that. Yeah. So let's do chapter three and chapter four. Um, let's see, somebody said yes, reading along. Somebody said, hi, Mike. So one of your friends is on here. All right, guys. Well, um, we are <laughs> enjoying the book. We hope, oh good, another person says, yes, I have the book. Um, are you enjoying it? Have, you know, I hope you are. Mike and I certainly are, obviously. We get very excited about it. Um, it seems that we have the most patents and Nobel Prize winners in innovation from Silicon Valley. Okay. Yeah, I can see that there's a certain, I mean, we're not saying there are no successful people in the United States. I mean, what we're saying is there are a, a majority of kids who hate school and can't wait to get out of it. They're not enjoying learning. And, and we're just trying to get to the bottom of why is school such a miserable place, you know, exactly. for so many students. So, yep. um, yeah, we understand there's always going to be successful people. I mean, because there are self-driven people who are motivated. They are, oh, yeah. they're brilliant, oh, yeah. right? They, I mean, absolutely. We're not, we're not saying there isn't, there aren't any, okay. We're just oh, trying yeah. to look at the big picture. Um, for the majority of students in this country. Oh yeah, there's there's always going to be those great creative thinkers. There's always going to be your, your Elon Musk's and your Bill Gates. There's always going to be those, those, those people that create something big yep. and and really you know yep. dr drive their passions. You know that's just the way of life. That's the reason why that's right. communism doesn't work is because of human competition. We're competitive people, and right. people people want to achieve great things and those sorts right. of things. That's so right. you know, but but education in and of itself. And what we're doing to our most vulnerable population really is not fair to make them go through this obsolete experience of school. Right. When there's another way. Right? Exactly. When there is yeah. a way. When there's there another is way. a way to say, and it's not let's that use hard. your path. No, no, it really isn't. Cheaper. But it would take, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay, guys. Well, thank you for joining us. Um, we appreciate it. And if this is your first time, these are recorded and available on um, Carrie Ebert seminars at Carrie Ebert seminars, uh, my Instagram page. They are also available as podcasts. If you want to listen yep, or if you want to yep. talk to somebody, um, uh, you know, and they are interested, it's on Spotify and Apple, and, and, and Apple podcasts and Apple podcasts. Yeah, That's yeah. right. So it's educational chapter chat or education chapter chat, education chapter chat. Yep. And every, how you find it. every week we're getting more and more listeners through the podcasts. Uh, I, I see we already have a lot of five-star ratings on there. Yay. Uh, so, it's, so it's really, really cool that people are listening to this in their free time. And people from all over the world, which all is really over the world. kind of yeah. fun too. Because yeah. obviously we can only really talk about education in the United States. You know, I mean, we don't, we don't have experience with others, but it is fun to listen to you guys in other countries tell us, you know, about yeah. your experiences and, and compare them and contrast them. So anyways, Mike, as always, it was great to see you. I will be back in Kansas City next Monday night. Uh, and um, I will see you then for chapter three and yep. chapter four. Does that sound good? Sounds like a plan. I can't wait. Awesome. Guys, have a great week and we'll see you next Monday. Enjoy the rest of your trip. Okay. Thanks. I will. Bye-bye. See you soon.